Hello and welcome back to the Yang Gang Podcast. Our guest today is Cassie Dillon. Cassie is the founder of Lone Conservative, an organization dedicated to giving conservative college students a platform to voice their opinions. She has been published in the Wall Street Journal, The Hill, and The Daily Wire, and she has a new podcast called The Cassie Dillon Show out right now. We're very excited for this interview today. How are you doing, Cassie? Good. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, thank you. Um, first things first, I guess, because this is the Yang Gang Podcast, uh, I wanted to ask you about a tweet that you had that went viral the other week. Um, and for those who are listening who did not see this, uh, you tweeted how you could see yourself being friends with Andrew Yang, but voting for Donald Trump. Um, the president then responded by saying he was, quote, okay with that. <laughs> and let me ask you, why is it that you feel that way? And kind of what has the response to that been? Sure. Let me walk you a little bit through this tweet. So I just started a graduate school program and I'm working many different jobs. And so I haven't really had time to go on Twitter. And so I was flying in the airport and someone was trolling me because I kept posting positive things about Andrew Yang. And they're like, why don't you vote for him then? And I responded and I said, you know, I would love to be friends with Andrew Yang, but I probably wouldn't vote for him. And I would not be friends with President Trump, but I'm going to vote for him. Uh, and so the president responded, and I just want to remind you, like, the person I responded to was just some random troll account, and the tweet must have had, like, 15 likes on it, and maybe, like, two retweets, and then the president found it, and I don't know how he found it, he wasn't tagged in it, I'm assuming Donald Trump sits there and Googles his name all day, I have no idea how he found it, um, and so it blew up. Yeah. And uh, the reaction to it, you know, the president responded. I went on Fox and Friends and talked about it. And a lot of people are saying they agree with me. Fox actually sent a reporter to his New Mexico rally, Trump's New Mexico rally, and asked them, you know, have you, did you vote for Trump last time? And I mean, is there a reason why you were pulled out? And some people actually responded, quoting my tweet. So it's been pretty cool. Um, when it comes to Andrew Yang, though, I really, really like him. I think he's a genuine person. I think he's a good person. But some of his policies I just can't get on board with, primarily my conservative policies. So, you know, abortion, gun rights. Those are just things I cannot, I cannot give it, I cannot reach an arm out to and allow someone more moderate or even quite left. And he's pretty left in those issues to get into power. I couldn't give my vote to someone like that. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I think that's very interesting. And I, I think that's actually something that I've been hearing. Now, there are people who are very far to the right and hear a lot of Andrew's policies and think that they are just super progressive, um, like universal basic income especially. But I think one thing that a lot of them don't know is that this idea actually has passed before. Um, under Nixon was the president. It was a Republican House and the Senate was actually Democratic and the Senate did not pass this. And that was in the early 70s. So I think Andrew does have a specific appeal with um, some conservatives, but I can see why you would, I guess, feel that way if those were issues that were very important to you. Yeah, you know, UBI is not even the breaking point for me on it. I mean, is it a big government program? Yeah, but if he cuts back on welfare, I could see a co I could see a case for it. I really could. If we really reformed welfare and had this, I could see the case if we could somehow figure out how to balance the budget and, you know, use this instead of having really overbearing transitional assistance. So I could see the case for that. That's not the reason why I'm completely wouldn't vote for him. It's more of it's probably the pro-life issue is probably number one for me. Um, I like his foreign policy, honestly. I think his foreign policy in China is great. So it's not the foreign policy aspect of it. I don't know how he feels in Israel. I haven't seen anything about that. Um, I actually specialize in the Middle East, so I care a lot about things that happen there. But honestly, it's the abortion and gun rights thing for me that makes me not want to vote for him. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, I guess switching gears here, more about kind of you and your background. Um, so for people who don't know kind of what loan conservative is, um, it kind of blew up. What, what was it? 2015, 2016? 2016, yes. Um, can you talk a little bit about kind of what the factors were that kind of went into that and what made you feel compelled to start the loan conservative in the first place? Yeah, so it's a, it's a quite a tale. Um, I went to a school called Mount Holyoke College in Massachusetts. It's an all women's college. I was the first in my family to go to college right after high school. My mom went to college, but she was 35. And we know that's not the same college experience as, you know, going there right after high school. And so I went to this all women's college. I didn't pick my college based on politics at all. I wanted to be a history major. And then I wanted to go become a lawyer in the Air Force. Like I had no intention of doing what I'm doing right now at all. Um, and so I went to this college and, you know, I was quickly exposed to the very leftist nature of it. There was a lot of things that happened my freshman year, but then I basically, I started becoming very conservative. I started working for a website called uh, Campus Reform. What they do is they report on liberal bias in college campuses. And they told me that there was an event that they wanted me to cover um, called The Triggering at UMass Amherst. And I had no idea who the speakers were. Now everyone knows who these speakers are, but I had no idea who they were at the time. The speakers were Steven Crowder, Milo Yiannopoulos, and Christina Hoff Summers. I had yeah. no idea who any of them were. And so I went to this event and there was just crazy protesters everywhere. And so I took a video of a protester sitting behind me. The internet ended up calling her Trigglypuff and she became one of the biggest memes of 2016. And so after that video came out, if you guys haven't seen it, you can go Google it. Um, but I was put on Fox News to talk about it, and I started being open into this field of media. And I really wanted to write opinion articles, but it's hard to get into the media. And I only had connections to campus reform, and they don't take opinion articles. So I said, what the heck? I'll create my own platform. And so that's kind of how Lone Conservative got started. I named it that because I really was the Lone Conservative at Mount Holyoke. We had a college Republican club, and there's three of us at the time. Um, one was just pro-life. She wasn't conservative. She was just pro-life. And the other one was a libertarian and there was no libertarian club. So I really was the only uh, conservative. And so it got started like that. I thought it would be like me writing and a few others, but now it's turned into this giant platform with more than 400 people who have contributed to it from all around the world, all 50 states. It's just amazing what we've, what we've turned into. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. And you're still studying. You're, you're in a master's program right now. Is yeah, that so I'm actually, I have uh, graduated from Mount Holyoke and now I'm going to Pepperdine for their public policy program, which is a conservative program. Almost all the faculty are conservatives and the students are 50-50. So our classroom discussions are absolutely amazing. Yeah. What's it like being, because I mean, you named it lone conservative for a reason. Um, what's it like being a conservative in a time where the majority of what I would call your peers are liberal. You know, it was kind of fun. I'm not going to lie. I had a lot of fun at Mount Holyoke in the classroom debating, and I, had, I was the only one giving the conservative perspective, so professors would call on me and they'd want me to talk. I was worried about going to Pepperdine because I didn't think I'd get a lot of debating in, but the class is 50-50, and it's really fun. And Even I push back on some of the conservative points, so it's just – it's very political and it's very conversational. So I like that, but there are bad sides to it too. I was hated by my peers. They despised me. A few of them booed me at graduation and there's a video of that. So wow. yeah, so I was completely hated at Mount Holyoke. People were my friends, but they didn't want to be seen with me. Or sometimes some people on the left would ask to hang out with me, but at a coffee shop away from campus. And I was, and because they were like, 
I want to uh, make friends on the other side of the aisle, but I don't want my friends to know I'm doing that. And, I, and you know, sometimes I'd hang out with them, but towards the end, I was like, I don't have time to give you my time if you are too afraid to tell people that you have the audacity to hang out with someone who disagrees with you. It was just insane, but I got through it. I enjoyed college for the most part. Yeah, I think that um, one of the things in modern America now is that I, a lot of times I think people from both sides just aren't even willing to listen to the opinions of the other side. Um, and, and even the people who are willing to listen, they get called complicit or they get called, I don't know, any, any number of names. Um, do you, I guess, would you agree with that? Do you think that we are getting more polarized or do you think that I guess the internet is a platform where maybe it doesn't seem, it seems more polarized, but it's not because everyone can actually have a voice now. I think we're absolutely more polarized. Even if you look at Congress back in the day, congressmen and congresswomen from all across the aisle would dine together. They'd have dinner parties. They would be friends with people on the other side of the aisle. It's still a little bit like that, but not as much. If you talk to some of the younger representatives in Congress, um, you'll, you'll hear it. Dan Crenshaw talks about how some of the freshman uh, congresswomen won't even look at him. They won't even acknowledge him in the hallway. So, you know, I think it is becoming more pol- polarized, especially in our political system. But there really is, especially in colleges, there's a big group of students who just don't care. You know, we talk about all of these activists. And the problem is the conservatives are very loud and so are the liberals in these campuses. But the majority of students just don't care. Um, so yes, we are polarized when it comes to our political sides, but I think the, the, in general, most of America is still pretty united. It's just the people who are passionate about politics are way too passionate and way too loud. How do you think that we can get those people who are very apathetic to to start caring? I mean, do you think there's any way? You know, I think Trump kind of did it in some aspects. There's just some people who are just so done with politicians and then they see Trump who's just like insulting all of them, whether this is a good thing or not. I think he he actually did pull out a lot of people who have never voted before. But I think when it comes to, I think Andrew Yang also has the ability to appeal to these people too, because he's not a politician. He's not as bombastic as Trump. Um, but I think you just need to talk to, you need to have the kind of conversation with these people who they feel inspired. So for instance, I actually watched the last debate with my family who's not political. We were all down in Georgia going to my little brother's basic training graduation. And it was a Thursday night and we're sitting in the middle of Georgia. We're like, what should we do? So we turned on the debate. They've never seen a debate before. None of them have ever voted before. Um, It was my sister, my stepdad, my aunt. And so we put it on and uh, I live tweeted it. I live tweeted all of my sisters and my stepdad's reactions to it. And my stepdad is a very, you know, he's a biker. He's like a very, like, uh, he gives his opinions. You know, he hates all politicians equally is what he says. Uh, And he's very terrified I'm going to become a politician. And so watching that debate, they really hated Kamala. Like my stepdad could not stand her. Um, he, He liked Klobuchar, but he thought that she needed to stop quoting everyone besides herself. If you watch the debate, she has, she throws in like four quotes from other people. Um, they liked Andrew Yang uh, a lot. They thought he was a really nice guy. They were kind of confused why he wasn't talking at all though, but um, my sister made the comment where he's just smarter than everyone else on the stage and like he doesn't know what to say to them because they're all yapping about the same thing. Um, they, they didn't like Booker. They liked Mayor Pete, um, mainly because my stepdad is also a veteran. Uh, they, they hate Elizabeth Warren. Okay. I'm from Massachusetts. They hate her. 
Okay. They, it's her Senate, mm. their Senator. They don't like her, but they said whoever wrote her script quote, <laughs> it was really good. So they liked her talking points. They don't like her. They felt like she was phony, but they liked what she was saying. Huh? Um, so you said about that your family's not political. What, what caused you to ha- kind of have an interest in politics? Cause, cause like, Things like the stuff that you do, it doesn't just happen. There has to be that kind of inner drive. Mm-hmm. Um, when did that start? Well, I, well, I grew up in a very, very poor, um, bad community. Um, you know, my mom was a single mother. I moved out when I was 16, 17 years old. Uh, so my passion growing up that kind of like kept me going while having a bad home environment was school. And so I was in all the AP classes. I took AP government And that's when I started learning about politics. But my grandfather, I'd always have go visit my grandfather like once a month on the weekends. And he is a diehard Republican, diehard. And so he like, you know, the Rush Limbaugh type watching Fox News all day long. And so he talked to me about conservatism first. Um, And then I started working on the Carly Fiorina campaign in college. And I I remember my grandfather calling me and saying, you're working for the wrong candidate. She's going to lose. Trump's going to win. And I thought my grandfather was crazy. I was like, yeah, okay, shut up, crazy old guy. Like, you don't know what you're talking about. Uh, So now my grandfather likes to bring that up. But he's a little bit of the old school conservative compared to me. But we do agree on a lot. Uh, So yeah, it was pretty much my grandfather's influence, I have to say. And then also growing up in a very bad community and making something of myself. I think I have the entrepreneurship like mentality. And I think that we need to empower these communities more than what we're doing and differently than what we're doing. If that makes sense. Yeah, that makes total sense. Um, so one of the things that you were talking about is you, you said that your grandpa said that Trump was going to win this election. Yep. <laughs> um, Trump obviously came in with no political experience. The first one, the first person in, to my knowledge, I think ever, right. With, with zero political experience, um, especially in the modern era. Do you think that with Andrew polling at fifth or sixth right now, depending on what you look at for the Democratic primary, did Trump kind of open that door for Andrew to be a candidate? Do you think if Trump hadn't got elected, he would be polling as high? Yeah, I think Trump did open the door. I think Trump opened the door to anyone who's not a typical politician because he hammered politicians so hard that they see the sentiment sticks that people don't like politicians. So somebody like Andrew Yang coming in, who is this tech entrepreneur, he also has that appeal, but he's appealing to people on the left rather than the right. But it's the same mentality of they can't stand politicians. So yeah, I definitely do think that. And I also saw a poll where Andrews uh, can beat Trump in the poll. I think you probably know what poll I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I thought that was interesting. And I do think that. I think that if they were in a general election, I think Andrew Yang would be much harder to beat than any of the other Democrats. And I say that because Andrew Yang's also a businessman. Trump couldn't do the whole insult thing at him as um, easily because he's a really nice guy. And they're going to hammer him with all these insults. I mean, he's not like a corrupt politician, so it's harder to... Because then you just look like you're bullying somebody. You know, he's just a nice person, so you're just making fun of this nice guy. Like, I get you making fun of Beto, I get you making fun of Biden, but this is just a genuine person, so it wouldn't go as easy for Trump with his little name-calling. I'd be interested to see what his name-calling at Andrew Yang would be, though. <laughs> it'd be yeah. very interesting what nickname he gets. Yeah. So I think it'd be harder to be Andrew Yang. Hmm. Um, I just had a question for you, but I'm forgetting it. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I guess... Based on that, well, yeah, yeah, here it is. What qualities do you think 
you can talk about, I guess, from your perspective and maybe from conservatives in general, what qualities do you look for in a presidential candidate? Um, well, I think I just look for somebody who's going to get the agenda done that I want. I wrote an article right before Trump was elected that explained why I was voting for him despite, am I allowed to swear, Pussygate? Yeah, no, <laughs> despite yeah, that, <laughs> despite that, uh, I wrote an article about why I was voting for him and it was primarily the Supreme Court and I got two Supreme Court justices out of it. So I completely got what I wanted already. Anything Trump's doing now that I like is just a, is just a plus. So I'm looking for someone who is going to push more of the conservative agenda. I do, I, I mean, the economy is probably one of the most important things to me. And Andrew Yang's foreign policy in regards to the economy is not a bad thing. Now, will UBI work? I don't know. I don't know. Apparently, it, it's going on in Alaska and it's going fine. Uh, but I don't know how that will work. Like I said, they'd have to be a cut in welfare for me to think that that we'd be able to afford that. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much for coming on and even just, just talking to us today. Um, I really appreciate it coming from someone who's, you know, a little bit on the other side, pretty much everyone that we've interviewed on this podcast so far has been, uh, most of them have been fans of Andrew Yang and, and the ones that we haven't talked to have had some sort of connection. And then I've asked kind of similar things. Um, I guess for one last question, um, I did an interview with a woman named Leslie Marshall, who's a Fox News contributor as well, yesterday. And she said that she doesn't think she could see the middle of the country voting for Andrew Yang, um, simply because he's what she called an intellectual. Do you think that's true? I can see her argument for that, but Andrew Yang does talk a lot about how automation is going to affect the people in the middle of the country. And I think he'll be able to appeal because he understands what they're going through. And that's one of the reasons why I liked Andrew Yang the mo most is he's talking about things that the other politicians, A, don't know about, B, are too stupid to learn about, and C, don't care about. You know, they're going for things that are polling high while Andrew Yang's being more futuristic and talking about things that will be huge issues soon. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with you. <laughs> and I want to throw another thing out about Andrew Yang. Yeah. Good on him for being okay with speaking to the other side of the aisle. Him sitting down with Ben Shapiro and having that Sunday special was a huge thing. I mean, Tulsi Gabbard sat down with uh, Dave Rubin, but seriously, him being willing to do that is a huge accomplishment because some of these contributors won't even, or some of these candidates won't even go talk to Fox News. It's ridiculous. You should be fine with talking to them. It's crazy that you're going to alienate half of the country. So I wanted to throw that out there. And then I want to throw out one more thing. Um, the Andrew Yang supporters have been so kind to me. I, I said I'm not voting for Andrew Yang, and they've still been so nice to me. Some of them are following me, hoping that they can convince me to. But they're just really nice people, and I think that says a lot about Andrew Yang. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think it's important to, to extend that olive branch. And there's some, I think, on the left that say if you – you know communicate with someone who voted for trump that makes you a racist by proxy or whatever I, you understand what i'm saying yeah and, um and that's just not true and even if it were true I, the only way that you can get those people to change their minds is by actually talking to them and actually mm -hmm. engaging with them and explaining why that you feel the way that you do um so i yeah thank you so much for coming on and, and giving your perspectives um do you want to talk a little bit about um, your new podcast and kind of plug it a little bit? 
Yeah, guys, check out my new podcast. Uh, I'm doing something different than most conservatives. They pretty much uh, shout at you and tell you the, the news of the day. But for me, I'm taking you on a journey. I am teaching you about a certain topic or sharing somebody's story. There's a lot of noises and sounds coming in and clips. So we, we stick to one topic per podcast and we are pundit free. We are a pundit free zone. We want you to think for yourself while giving you these stories. Our first two episodes, first one was on the president of Brazil. Second one was about a conservative comedian who works for Ellen DeGeneres. Number three is going to be about a veteran who volunteered to fight in Kurdistan against ISIS. So tune in. It's a really, really fun podcast. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for Uh, having me. Yeah, everybody. This is Cassie Dillon of The Lone Conservative and The Cassie Dillon Show. Be sure to check her out there. And uh, yeah, thank you so much. It's my hope that we can kind of keep a line open with you. Um, and yeah, maybe talk to you again in the future. So Absolutely. Good luck in the primaries. All right. Thank you so much. All right. Bye-bye.